think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome to the Take and Read podcast. Pastor Chad here and back with me. A recent new time guest, but probably a long time future guest, if she keeps agreeing to come back on the podcast, Linnea Morris. <laughs> hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, uh, good. So you were, go ahead. Uh, I'm doing good. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> okay. I'm excited to be all here. Right. <laughs> so uh, you were on probably five or six episodes ago, maybe I'm give or take one or two. And just so you know, we haven't moved too far in our study of the book of Acts. We're moving at a, a snail pace, but it's good. We're going to take our time. Uh, but before we jump in to this discussion, what I would love to hear is if you were to stand back and look at all of the various things going on in your world right now. So everything from family, your time in the word, uh, time with your church family, what, what do you think God is teaching you or, or impressing upon you, reminding you of in this season? Oh yeah. So much is happening. Uh, I feel like our, um, family and our church family, I feel like we just recently kind of left a season of a lot of tough stuff, a lot of waiting uh, on the Lord. Uh, so it's just been so cool to see, uh, looking back, uh, that God was so faithful through all that. And then just to see that he uses uh, those circumstances uh, for our good. And so it's, I mean, it's tough to say that when you're in it. It's tough for me to say, and I remember distinct moments, just like, I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want to be in this anymore. But looking back. Uh, to see that the Lord had a plan. And I think most recently, um, I have just seen the community of, around us uh, just really be one that encourages us and keeps us accountable. And so for me personally, I just, I'm going right back to those spiritual disciplines of being in the word, uh, praying more often, uh, fasting, memorizing scripture, just all the basics. Um, but mm -hmm. being reminded that those, that's the foundation. So it's been a really, really cool season, uh, that I'm in right now. Yeah. Do you feel like they're getting back to the basics that there, it's easy to overcomplicate this thing, uh, called being a disciple of Jesus, like following him. It, you tend to kind of allow things to come in and make it more programmatic than it really should be? Or when you oh, say yeah. getting back to the basics, yeah, unpack that a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. So I think the one of the biggest things for me, I mean, I talked about this last time I was on the podcast, but I grew up in a fantastic family, Christian school. Um, I wasn't faking any of that, but I think mm -hmm. recently it's just been kind of an eye-opening, um, maybe more vibrant faith where I'm, I'm doing a lot of the same things, but it just is so much more meaningful to me where a couple years ago, I mean, I was like, okay, I'm, you know, opening up, uh, the Bible and I'm going to read this scripture. And I was like, okay, I did it. It didn't really get anything. Uh, and now 
I'm in a season where I feel like every time I open up the Bible and read something, it just is the truest testament that the Bible is living mm. uh, and it that's how God speaks to us. Uh, so it's just right. been a really cool season. So a lot of the same things, it just means a whole lot different right now. That's awesome. Yeah, that, I think that makes sense. We can all get into ruts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we get to where we're going through the motions. I think sometimes we just want to maintain appearances. Um, sometimes it's just we do what we have always done because it's easy and it's it's fine to be on autopilot. But it's yeah. it's awesome when the Lord draws us out of that into a a reminder. Sometimes it's tragedy. Some it can be a variety of things that the Lord uses to kind of bring us back to awareness of he wants relationship oh definitely and i I, yeah i think you said in a a sermon i don't know a couple weeks ago a few months ago uh you said something about how in college you had uh one morning just opened up scripture and started reading and you were like oh this is like this is good stuff like did did you know that what this was in here and it was like a Mm -hmm. more eye-opening thing that's what i feel like the past (laughs) probably a year. I mean, I'm reading the same Bible that I've been reading, but it, it's just so much more powerful, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about layers and depth in the scriptures. It's amazing. You can read a passage that has been so familiar. And I find that even like leading into seasons of familiarity, whether it's the Christmas season or Easter, and you look at passages that you know and at one point you were taught maybe on in a Sunday school class or whatever. And you, there's just so much depth and layer to uh, these stories and complexity and f- texture, I think is the word that I would use. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, well, we are, we are going to jump into the book of Acts chapter 10. So we are slowly making our way through and to kind of recap where we've most recently been, now that we are several chapters in, we've already navigated through the early days of the church and the founding of the church. We've navigated through a couple of incidences with Peter and John going to the temple and being arrested and seeing some of the, the kind of early days and months of the church. And then we we have this the I guess you would call the martyrdom of Stephen occurs in chapter six and seven. We get introduced to that. And at the end of his death, we're introduced to a young man named Saul, who is apparently given a lot of authority by the Pharisees and the chief priests. And he's allowed to go and kind of ravage the church. He's allowed to go and find these these disciples, these followers of this Jesus of Nazareth and get them to stop. And in the process of doing that, he encounters the living Jesus or the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's struck blind physically. And through that process of being struck blind physically, he is able to gain spiritual sight, whereas he was blind before as to who Jesus was, he's now able to see. And so you see this remarkable conversion story of Saul. And then it kind of changes back over to tracking with 
Saul going to Jerusalem. Finally, at first, he wasn't accepted by those in Jerusalem because they were scared for good reason. They were scared that this guy is coming. And so I think when you were on the podcast last time, we were talking about Saul and all of the emotions in and around that experience for those believers. And now it transitions the account that Luke is giving us in the book of Acts at the end of chapter 9 returns to following Peter and tracking him in a particular region that's a coastal region in Israel. So he had gone to uh, Lydda and he had performed a miracle. There had been a man there that had been paralyzed for over eight years. He was bedridden. And then Peter went in and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and make your bed. And so he did immediately gets up and he's healed. Not too far away, uh, he's brought to a location na- uh, named Joppa, which is on the coast uh, of Israel. And he goes there, and there's a disciple named Tabitha, and she had died. They were going through the very ritual, ceremonial experience of mourning her death. And then Peter goes in, and in the power of Christ, raises her from the dead. And it says that many people believed. I mean, she immediately stands up. She gets out. Many believed in the Lord. And then he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon Tanner. So then we transition to chapter 10, which is what we're going to read today. You tracking so far? I'm great. Okay. I don't know if these recaps are helpful. I would just imagine jumping into an episode like this where maybe I haven't been listening. It would be helpful to know where we just came from. So I do that every week and hopefully it's helpful. And for those listening, you might be able to tell my voice is not at its normal velvety smoothness because (laughs) I am dealing with a cold right now. And so able to record remotely uh, with the technology we have, but still the technology cannot make me not sound like I'm losing my voice. (laughs) So bear with me. Okay. And just before we jumped on this podcast, Lene and I took a moment. Uh, We, we sought the Lord through prayer. We asked that he would help us give us wisdom. And so now we're going to jump in and read chapter 10 verses one through eight. We're just going to take those first eight verses and see what we have. I'm reading out of the ESV. Linnea, what are you? So am I. Same. Okay. All righty. With no further ado, chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa. Bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. Having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right, we're going to stop there. Okay. 
So first thing we want to do is make sure we understand everything that's being said here. So it is interesting that Luke is very adamant about including locations and places. So those kind of details matter. Uh, Joppa is on the coast. Uh, Caesarea is on the coast. It's was also known as Caesarea Maritime, uh, not to be confused with another Caesarea or Caesarea Philippi, which is in a different part of Israel. And that is also found in the New Testament, and there are different things that happen there, uh, especially in the ministry of Jesus. But this one, Caesarea Maritime, is about roughly 24 miles north of Joppa on the coast. It was a, a pretty big port city of the Roman Empire. So a lot of commerce went through there uh, eventually. And kind of spoiler alert, this will be Caesarea. Uh, this will be the place where Peter is imprisoned eventually. Or not Peter, but Paul, uh, as he appeals to Caesar. And so a lot of things will happen in and through this small little uh, port town. Um, so that's where they are, or that's where Cornelius is. And so you can kind of see why he references the Joppa component. So right before this, we learn that Peter's still in Joppa. And so he's then told to go send for this Peter, which would have been about a day's journey away. What else uh, in this passage kind of sticks out and you go, mm, I think that would probably be important to know, or that needs some explaining. Uh, I think the detail that's given to Cornelius a centurion of what was known as Italian cohort. What does that mean? And why is it important? Yeah. Um, good question there. Cause I, I would a either gloss of, over that. Yeah. I mean, right away it tells you, okay, a centurion. So he's an officer in the Roman army, uh, which mean that, which means that he's a Gentile. Okay. So he is not of Jewish origin. It says he's a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So while he, there may be some affinity he has, we don't know if he has maybe some Jewish background or exposure, but we know that he, his professional role is he's an, a military leader in the Italian or Roman army. I've done a little kind of, not in preparation for this, but a little looking at like a centurion and you see centurions throughout the story of Jesus. You have one who is present at his death and checks to see if he's, you know, thrust the spear in his side. You have another one that's standing there and says, surely this must be the son of God. So you see centurions kind of throughout this period. And they would have been a commander of a particular large number of troops. Uh, a century would be like a hundred uh, so, you know, having command over quite a few troops and the Italian cohort, it's interesting. Scholars say that it was a particular like group of soldiers in the Roman army, that maybe it was this group of kind of volunteer army personnel or military personnel. But all we know is that he is a part of a particular detachment of the Roman military. He's a commanding officer, a centurion is somebody who has demonstrated their their excellence in command, their prowess as a fighter, uh, 
discipline, commitment, all of these things. So you just kind of get this sense that here's a guy who is, he's a Roman guy. He's all about the empire. And yet we read that he's a devout man who feared God with all of his household. So it's not just he's the kind of this one-off in his family, but his, his whole household is faithful to God, giving alms, which was a sign of, so that that financial generosity is a sign of devotion. Prayer is a sign of devotion. Um, these actually like are a triad. If you notice in like the Sermon on the Mount and in Jewish customs, there were three things that one would do that would demonstrate their piety or their level of spiritual maturity. And it would be giving alms, it would be prayer, and it would be fasting. Those would be the three. And so you see two of those three on display here to to kind of endorse the fact that here's this guy who loved God, demonstrated by these things. Um, yeah, and we really don't know more than, I mean, I'm super curious if he like attended synagogue or something like that in that region. I'm just imagining like this leader who he's a Roman guy who's obviously a very good leader. He's in control of a lot of people, but then he also has these great characteristics and he's following God. That's I'm just imagining just an incredible leader. It's cool. Yeah. And you wonder if that was a difficult position to be in. Uh, not having your primary allegiance to Caesar. Maybe it was. And he was also trying to follow God. I mean, because Romans, the, the the pagans were polytheists. They worship multiple gods. They sacrifice to multiple gods. And so it is a little bit interesting that this one centurion, Roman soldier, is willing to fear God and be devoted to this one God. It makes gives you the sense that he's somehow faithful in that way. And it's setting things up since he's not a he's not Jewish. It's setting things up for him to be one of the first Gentile converts, which is very interesting. Hmm. Um, and then the the ninth hour of the day. I have a note that says uh, that is three p.m. There you go. Three in the afternoon. And then uh, that's angel also. Just shows up. Yeah. That is interesting. I, I also have a footnote here that refers me back to Acts 3 1, referring to the time of day, that that was the time of day that Peter and John went up to the temple. Um, yeah, that in Acts 3. Verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Uh, so it's interesting to see that maybe here's this man about the ninth hour of the day. Maybe he's praying. Maybe he's trying to practice some of these devout kind of times. And so he, but during that time period, it's which would have been the also the hour of prayer, he sees a vision and an angel of God comes in to him and begins to talk with him. That's fascinating. Yeah. So you don't I love know, that we he don't know if starts... he's observing that. Go Sorry. ahead. I love that he, he just starts just saying his name. 
So for me, it would just be like this angel and he would say, Linnea. And I, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm what? What's going on? Can you imagine that? Oh, he like stared at him in just hanging out. Yeah, you're hanging out in your office and you're like, uh, I'm going to pray before I go pick up my kids. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like the room is filled and there's a, an angel that says, Linnea. <laughs> Yikes. Like what? That would be terrifying. <laughs> Oh man. Um Yeah, also this is a total side note. Like do you a voice of an angel, do you think it's like booming and loud and surround sound? I mean, who knows? Or yeah. I don't know. But I love that he just stared at him in terror. And then mm-hmm. he said, "What is it?" Yeah. And these are here you have this great military leader who is probably very brave and courageous, and yet this causes him terror, which is pretty consistent when people encounter angels uh, throughout the scriptures. And he's there because he says, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So there's. God has taken whatever he's been offering out because it's coming from a genuine heart. So we don't know as a Gentile if he's doing it the quote-unquote right way. But what we do know is he has a genuine desire to honor the Lord. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And I think there's something interesting in that right there. We don't know that yeah. he's not doing it the right way, quote unquote, but there is a sense in which this Roman, this Roman officer is not Jewish from what we understand. His name is not Jewish. He's part of the Roman army and a commander in that army. And yet he has been offering up alms and prayers and God honors that. Hmm. And now send men to Joppa. And bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And so he's told to, in response to this, these prayers and this memorial before God, God is going to honor him or bless him or respond to his prayers. And he's going to to meet Peter, the apostle. Which I just got to say, all the names in the Bible... There are so many Johns and there are so many Simons that they have to (laughs) say, bring one Simon who is actually called Peter. And oh, but he's lodging with another guy named Simon who is actually a tanner, but his name is really Simon. Yeah. And I guess that's where you get like last names. It's either son of something, daughter of something or associated with their occupation. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the angel who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants, devout soldiers from among those who attended him. Having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So there you go. It kind of is is a little bit reminiscent of in the Gospels, it was it was a Roman soldier that didn't he come to Jesus and ask for his daughter to be healed? Yeah. 
Where, what is that passage? Uh, and I feel like he's I like, just you don't have to come. Luke. But he essentially, because of his faith, he he knows Jesus doesn't have to go and heal her like in person. He's like, you can just send. I'm I'm somebody who is under authority and I, I command people and they just go and do what I ask. So you could just say the word and it would be done. And Jesus yep. says, your daughter's healed. I feel like I just read that in Luke. Yeah, what is that passage? Well, as you're looking it up, I'm going to just uh, consider the end of this. Uh, so he speaks, has this conversation with the angel, and then sends two servants, which we are understanding are devout soldiers from among those who attended him. So now he's sending these Roman soldiers down to fetch Simon Peter. And so you have this kind of official, it's very interesting, like these these men under his command are sent to go and take care of this personal business that is very official at the same time. Yeah. And and I so wonder I if they were, I wonder what their response was. If it, if it was like immediate obedience, okay, yep, sure, I'll do it. It's per, seems like a personal matter, but I'll do it. Yeah, or like if they get my were, dry cleaning. Yeah. I just wonder their actual response. Did you happen to find the passage in uh, Luke? The the Maybe? one that I found is the centurion servant. So it's still okay. a centurion, but it's a not his daughter. So in Luke seven. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, the centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Yeah. Uh, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Yep. That's the one I was thinking of. I was thinking of another time when there was a dad, a father yep. whose daughter, and then there's a widow who has a son. Yep. There's these multiple kind of healing incidences. But yeah, here's the one in, in Luke 7, a centurion servant. And Jesus tells him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Okay. Yeah. So kind of a, a similar scenario, but also very different. Um, so I'm, I'm not suggesting that these some t somehow are related, but it is interesting that there's this sense of uh, Jesus and his disciples interacting with Gentiles, very obvious Gentiles, and within the, the military kind of governmental structure. It's, it's a very interesting kind of layer i think okay so we have this scene and it seems pretty straightforward we're introduced to a guy named cornelius a centurion commanding this group of this cohort or whatever in caesarea maritime he's we're made to understand he's he's faithful he's devout to god and not just any god but clearly yahweh he is praying continually to Yahweh. He's generous towards people. And so he's trying to be devout. And one day at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, he sees in a vision. So it's likely he's praying at that point. He's praying to God. Angel comes, says his, greets him by name, ter terrifies him. He says, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Almost like he's saying, "We've God has heard your prayer. 
and is not going to answer your prayer. So then he's told, this is what you need to do. So go, go get Simon, also known as Peter. He's <laughs> down the road, a day's journey. Send your guys, go get him. So this is setting us up for what will happen in the next couple of verses. But I do want to stand back and ask, what's the significance of this passage, this short eight verses? If you think about it in the context of Theophilus, who would have been receiving this, uh, because we know that he is Luke is writing to Theophilus both his gospel as well as the book of Acts. So how does this land for Theophilus, who is also a Gentile? And how might this also impact the the early church community that's going to receive this as good news? Thoughts? I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing, one of the points that Jesus made very clear when he was here on earth was that he's not here just for the Jews or just for uh, uh, the, the Pharisees and the synagogue people. He came for everyone, for the world. Uh, and mm-hmm. so this story that was written would have been another clear hey this is another guy who is clearly not a jew he is high in leadership uh in the roman empire and yet he is devout uh he fears god and so much so that an angel came to him and instructed him to be a part of this story uh which we see later uh that was an important part Mm -hmm. of the story uh, so that god can use not only is uh, that salvation uh, for Gentiles, but God uses uh, Gentiles uh, to accomplish his purpose. Yeah, you you see he uses Gentiles and he also cares for the Gentiles. I think when you stand back and look at the broader narrative of the whole Bible, you start to realize that the reason for God calling a particular people out of Abram was so that he could demonstrate his his covenant love to this group of people in order to draw others to himself. It's always missional. Right? He tells Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So the blessing isn't just for Abraham and his descendants, but he will use Abraham and his descendants to be a blessing to others. And then even when I just read this this morning. I was reading through the first couple chapters of of the Gospel of Luke, and I noticed, and I hadn't picked up on this before, but even when Jesus is first born and his earthly parents, so Mary and Joseph, following the law, they take Jesus because he's the firstborn son. They have to offer him at at the temple. They have to take him to the temple, so they take him. And there is Simeon, who recognizes that he is now seeing the Messiah. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he then gives a blessing, speaking this to Mary and Joseph, but about Jesus. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Like even from his first few weeks on earth, it was a clear indication that this Messiah was not just for the Jews. This Messiah was for all devout people of God, all the people. 
that that love the Lord. And so you see that with Cornelius, that, that God is showing his love towards Cornelius and his family because of, you know, there's this clear, he's going to call them, he's going to use them to, you know, to demonstrate his love and his kingdom. Hmm. Pretty powerful stuff. Um, cool. Yeah, so in light of this then, how do you walk away from a passage like this and and as a a wife as a mother as a sister in Christ how do you live in light of this truth and let this be kind of the the way in which you live like how does this shape you actually yeah uh that's a great question um i think for myself i think what the story is is a story of uh someone who is almost random or not the typical person that you would see God or you would expect God to use, but he often uses right. uh, people who are not uh, what man would think uh, to be used. And so uh, we see him being used to accomplish his will. Uh, even just skimming further on, we see uh, because he brought Peter uh, back, uh, Peter shares the gospel. Uh, with Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so we see the good news go out. And so for myself, I think, how how am I uh, willing and in a place of submission to be used by God uh, to accomplish his purpose? Because I, I would say I am not uh, someone that I would think God would choose to uh, do his will. Mm. Uh, but I have two young kids uh, that I am charged to uh, take care of and teach and uh, disciple. Uh, for the next 13 or so years. Uh, and so just making sure, checking my heart to see if I am uh, just at a place where I'm willing to submit to his authority uh, mm. to do that. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, you see one who is unlikely and still faithful and not doing it so that he can be used of God. He just He just loves God. And that simple and humble devotion to the Lord is something that the Lord desires to use and spread to other people. And so you see that he, Cornelius obviously led a household of faith. It says he's a devout man who feared God with all his household. And I would imagine even probably several of those soldiers under his command, you have these two devout soldiers, soldiers that are willing to do what he says in, in this matter. And so here I see a man who is loves God, even though it's probably not popular in his in his sphere, like with with all of the people that he is influenced by. And yet he's devout and he is so devout that his family and others around him are are faithful to the Lord and you see God honor that. And so I think there's something powerful in that as well. So Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, uh, any any parting insights or last words, Linnea? Thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, of course. I I just have one more thought. I think another thing that the Lord has really been teaching me is that uh, it's really nothing that I can do uh, to accomplish His will, uh, but it's mm -hmm. me being willing to uh, to be submissive to Him and just praying that the Holy Spirit uh, would use me. So, I mean, even in my daily life with my family, with my kids and my husband, I'm praying that the Lord would use me 
just to glorify mm-hmm. him. And it just is a reminder that it's not us. It's really the Holy Spirit using us. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. If you are tuning into this podcast for the first time, I want to encourage you. You're hearing a conversation between two people who have been interrupted and transformed by Jesus Christ, the living God. And we believe this word to be true. We believe it to be divine communication. It's not simply the product of humans, although God worked through and inspired human authors to communicate and reveal himself to us through what we call the Bible, which we've read today. And I want to encourage you, if if you're at a place where you're not sure you're tracking with this or even can believe this, I want to encourage you to continue in your reading of this word, because in this you will find a source of life, a source of clarity, thing, something that will help you understand reality and why the things in your life you struggle with, why you struggle with them, how, how one overcomes such struggles in life. You'll understand why the world isn't as it ought to be in that sense of what's wrong with this place. It becomes clear as we read God's word and, and there's nothing new under the sun. And so the challenges of every human today are the, have been the challenges for every human since the beginning. And these are all tracked th- through in the scriptures. And what you find here is God is revealing himself and the truth about who he is, but also the truth about us and, and our need for him. And we find that the one who bridges that gap is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who we believe physically lived, physically died, and physically rose again and will return. And so every day that he delays his return is a day that we can follow him, but also draw others to him and tell them this good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's that's what Linnea and I just did. We just read God's word because we believe it is his word, and we try to live in light of that. If you have any questions or anything that was provoked by this conversation, you can always leave a comment. You can uh, ask questions. Uh, the comment section is a great place for people to interact as a community around this. But if you have a personal question for either Linnea or myself, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to get your questions to Linnea, and she can respond accordingly. But want to yeah, make ourselves available to anyone who may have questions provoked by our conversation today. And again, I want to encourage everybody out there, you can support the podcast. You can either do the little link below and buy me a cup of coffee, which I actually do use to buy coffee. And typically I'm buying coffee with and visiting with somebody else and encouraging them in the Lord. Or you can purchase a t-shirt. There are a few t-shirts left if you want to support the podcast that way. Uh, otherwise, just tell people about us. Like, subscribe, do the things you're supposed to do because I would just want more people taking and reading God's word. And hopefully that's what this podcast is doing. So again, thanks for joining us today. And I hope everybody goes out there and takes and reads the word of God. Bless you.